and he says, you, oh, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by people. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people hide a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds and pray the, pray, and praise the Father in heaven. Hey, look, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of, these, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a bold thing to say. We'll go that far. So good. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, the salt of the earth, light of the world. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the next few minutes sort of talking about those two images, salt and light. And then uh, we're going to talk about the context again. We're going to remember who are the people Jesus is speaking to when he first called them salt of the earth and light of the world. Right? So what we have here are two universal and indispensable, indispensable elements of life itself. Both of them powerful. Both of them active. Both of them fundamentally necessary to life itself. So let's first begin by talking about salt. How important is salt in our lives? We normally don't think about salt. Do you spend your days thinking about salt? When we think about salt, it's because we're sitting at the dinner table and we're like, let's need some salt. Or we get to a restaurant and we got some fries sitting in front of us and we taste one and we're like, eh, it doesn't taste quite right. I got to put some salt on that. Are you with me? So we don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about salt, but salt is absolutely fundamental to life itself. Our bodies contain all kinds of salt. In fact, we need salt to live. It's in our blood. It's in our sweat. It's in our tears. Without salt, our hearts would not beat. Our blood would not pump or flow, and our muscles would not work properly. When your heart, when your brains, when your lungs, when your little tiny baby fingers and your little tiny baby toes were being formed in your mama's womb, guess what you were swimming in? A saline solution, salt solution. If you were in a car accident and the first responders got there and they noticed that, oh my goodness, this person is going to die if we don't get them to the hospital right away, what will they pump you full of? A saline solution just to keep you alive in transport to the hospital. In Roman times, 
Salt was so important that it was often used to pay people for their work. It was so important, it was like money. How would you like to take home a bag of salt after work? Here you go. A person who is not worth his or her salt, have you heard that before? Means they didn't earn anything for the work that they've done. So they're not worthy to be paid. It was terrible. Listen to this. Every year, we Americans use some 85 million tons of salt in our food industry. 85 million tons of salt. It's a lot of salt. Have you ever noticed that when you put salt on something, it brings out the flavor and everything else in the food? That's why we love salt so much. It enhances the flavors in the food itself. And get this. Sometimes, this is crazy. Some scientists estimate that the oceans contain 50 quadrillion tons of salt. 50 quadrillion tons. Do you, know how, do you know how much that is? Let me tell you. It's 50 million billion tons of dissolved salt. They say that if you extracted all of the salt out of the oceans and laid it across all of the land of Earth, planet Earth, uh, it would be a layer 500 feet thick. Which is, the sto- which is 40 stories high. What? That's a load of salt. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Powerful, active, life-giving, absolutely, fundamentally necessary. You are the salt of the earth. So good. Let's think about light for a moment. Now, this one's a little bit easier You know, we spend probably more time thinking about light than we do thinking about salt, but let's just talk about it anyway. So like salt, we need light to live, right? So plants need light for the process of photosynthesis, right? Animals eat plants in order for them to live. If we don't have plants, we don't have animals living on this earth. We need light, in other words, in order to have food, Right? Because if we don't have light, there's no plants and there's no animals that eat those plants. So we don't have animals to eat if you're into eating animals. Or if you're just into eating plants, then there's no plants around because there's no light. Are you with me? We need light for food. Right? If we don't have light, we cannot see. Light is the thing by which we see everything else. Light affects mood. It affects attitude. Right? Sometimes... During this month, the month of February, because it's typically the grayest month of the year and the dreariest month of the year because the sun isn't out quite as much as any other month of the year, we have this thing called seasonal affective disorder. Have you heard of this? Have you experienced this? You can be honest. It's okay. There was a time when we lived in Michigan where we didn't see the sun for almost 100 days, and it was the worst time in my whole life. It's like, where did that sun go? We need light. It affects our mood. It affects attitude. Light is powerful. Light is creative. We can harness the power of the sun and use it for energy. How amazing is that? Without light from the sun, there's no life on earth. Now listen to this. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while the spirit of God hovered over the waters. And then God spoke. What was the first thing that God said? Let there be 
light. Before there was order out of chaos, before there was life itself, God said, oh man, we need some light up in this place. Let there be light. You are the light of the world. Powerful, active, life-giving, absolutely fundamentally necessary. You are the light of the world. So we got salt, we got light, we got two indispensable elements of life. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus says, now, let's take a step back for a moment and think about exactly who it is that Jesus is talking to when he first calls them salt of the earth and light of the world. Because here's the deal. Context matters. Context always matters. If we dismiss the context or ignore the context, we miss a whole bunch of what Jesus is trying to say. So if we jump back, we did this two weeks ago, to chapter four, we learn that Jesus is just beginning his ministry. He's just, begin doing, he's just beginning doing his thing in and around Galilee. He's called, flu, he's called four hardworking blue-collar men, fishermen, to be his followers. And now he's walking around, and he's teaching, he's preaching, and Matthew tells us he's healing every disease and sickness among the people. That's quite a statement. He's healing, go look it up. Chapter four, he's healing every disease and sickness among the people. And because he's doing that amazing work, he's becoming very well known. In fact, he's becoming so well known that people from all over the place are bringing to him, guess who? The people who are sick and afflicted with every disease. Those are the kinds of people. And Matthew tells us that large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan were coming to him, following him. That is a huge chunk of real estate right there. But here's the thing about these people. There's no indication at all that these people know anything about God whatsoever. These people don't appear to have any spiritual qualities or spiritual qualifications whatsoever. They don't know the Bible. They don't know Torah. They don't know the law of Moses. These aren't the kind of people, again, who we'd ask to lead a small group. These aren't the kind of people who we'd be like, hey, can you teach a Sunday school class for us? Right? These aren't those kinds of people. These are the people who are poor. These are the people who have been marginalized because of the system that has been set up that pushes them. Some of them, most of them probably live outside of the community that they once were a part of, but now because they are sick and they have one of those diseases, they now have to live apart from the people. Those are the people that are coming to see Jesus. Dallas Willard calls these people spiritual zeros. I will take that one step further. These are humanities zeros. These aren't just people who don't have spiritual qualifications. These are the people that everybody else in the world has said, you go over there because we don't want what you got. Are you with me? That's the people that are coming to see Jesus. 
So Jesus looks at these people, the people we often do not see, or when we do see them, we try our best to ignore them because if we didn't ignore them and we paid attention, we might actually have to change what we think and how we act and how we operate in the systems that we have in this world. So we tend to ignore them, but Jesus looks at them and he sees them and they're gathered there and he looks them straight in the face And he says, oh, you are blessed. You are blessed. God is on your side. The whole world is telling you you don't matter. I am telling you right now you are blessed. God is on your side. And then he goes one step further and he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. What? That group? Powerful? Active? life-giving, those people necessary? What are you talking about, Jesus? Again, we talked two weeks ago about how this was upside down. My dad reiterated it last week, how this is upside down. This seems like upside down gibberish, Jesus. What in the world are you talking about? What do you mean by all of this? What's going on here? Maybe you've heard this before. In fact, some of you I know have heard it before because I've said it in this space before, so you're going to hear it again, and that's okay. There seems to be a correlation, a connection between between a child's self-esteem and the messages that they get. Have you heard this before? And I'm pretty sure you've heard this one before. For every one negative comment that an elementary age student hears about himself or herself, They need 10 more positive comments to restore their self-esteem to where it was before they heard the negative one. Are you with me? Have you heard this before? Have you experienced this before? You know how you could go out throughout your whole day, right? And you could have people complimenting you all the time. They're like, you're so awesome. Thank you for what you did. Oh my goodness, I recognize the hard work you do. And then one person says about you. And then you go to bed at night And you've had 20 things that people have said, you're awesome, thank you. And you've got that one thing. What's the one thing you think about? That's the one thing you think about, right? So there's, even as an adult, we have this intuition that that's absolutely true. Like when we hear hear positive things, it's like, yes. When we hear negative things, it totally erases almost all of those positive things, right? So in other words, children become what they are named. And I submit to you that we probably become what we are named. If you call a child bad enough for long enough, you can probably expect that out of their behavior. Call a child or any of us shameful, worthless, that we don't matter for long enough, we're probably going to live into that name. On the other hand, call any of us good, beloved, blessed, useful, worthy, long enough, maybe we'll just live into that too. Maybe that's what Jesus is up to. He's looking at this crowd who's heard and experienced their whole life, at least the recent past, that they don't matter. He's like, you're blessed. You're more than blessed. You're salt of the earth. You're flipping light of the world. You are powerful. 
active, life-giving, necessary. He says it again, blessed, you are blessed, you are blessed, you are blessed. Nine times he says, you are salt, you are light. He looks at humanity's zeros. The people we'd rather not be around at work. You know who I'm talking about? Bring them to mind. He's talking about the customers. He looks at the people we'd rather not talk, the customers we'd rather not deal with, the clients we'd rather not take on, the annoying neighbor who lives next door, the other group of kids at school. You know the group I'm talking about. Jesus looks at the humanity zeros and he says to them, you are salt of the earth. You are light of the world. He didn't say, look, y'all, once you get an education... Once you learn your Bible, once you've memorized Torah, the law, once you've been a Sunday school teacher, once you've led a small group, once the church community you're involved with says, hey, we want you to be an elder, then you'll be salt, then you will have made it, then you will be light of the world. No, he said, you just are. You are salt of the earth. You are light of the world. You are powerful, active, life-giving, necessary. So here's the deal. In spite of what you've heard, in spite of what you may think about yourself, right now, you are salt of the earth. Right now, you are light of the world, powerful, active, life-giving, necessary. Wherever you are, at home or at work or at play or at school, you are salt. You are an agent of the kingdom of God. You're like salt hidden just underneath the surface. Not too much salt because when you have too much salt, you're like, that's gross. But you're hidden just underneath the surface. And your life makes everything around you taste so much better. You have the ability to bring out the best in those are around you, wherever you are, at home, at work, at school, at play, you're light. You are the light of the world, an agent of the kingdom of God. And look, you don't have to be super bright, shining like a star. No, Jesus didn't be like, you're stars. He said, you'd be just a little lamp. And you don't put a bowl over a lamp. No, you're a lamp. And you give just enough light to the people around you so that they can see and experience the things of the kingdom of God so that they can experience the presence of the divine in you and through you. You are salt. You are light. There's no qualifications to be salt. There's no qualifications to be light. You can't earn this. You can't achieve this. You can't work your way up to becoming salt and light. You just are. You are salt and you are light because Jesus said it. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He just named you salt. He named you light, powerful, active, life-giving, necessary. You can influence the world for the kingdom. That's you. Now, Jesus says, you are salt. And you are light. And then he goes on to say, because he's going to go on, and he's going to go on through this whole sermon, and it's going to be amazing. And he's going to say, you have heard it said in the law, but guess what? I say unto you. So he's preparing them for what he's about to do. He says, don't hear what I'm not saying. He says, don't misunderstand me. I haven't come here to abolish the Old Testament. 
I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come to fulfill them. And we take a step back and we're like, what do you mean by that, dude? What does that mean? In the Bible, here's what I think it means. I'm not the only one. There's this internal dialogue happening in the Bible, right? You can find it yourselves. It's not hard to find. You can find it between Jesus and the Pharisees. That might be a good place to look, but it's all throughout the Old Testament as well. But there's this internal dialogue going on. On the one hand, there are those who define religion as adhering to religious law, practicing ritual, like praying, fasting, sacrificing, right? All of the things that we tend to do in here together, all the things that we tend to do really well together. We do those things in here. That's religion, they say. It's the religion of the temple. And then there is on the other side in the Bible, those who are defining religion on the basis of what kind of a difference does it make in how you live your actual life, in the way life is lived. So this is the religion of action and justice. This is a religion that does things like advocates for the poor, the weak, the vulnerable. If the other is the religion of the temple, this is the religion of the streets, homes, and workplaces. The priests represent one, the prophets represent the other. And so we sort of like this because there's like this dualistic thinking and we're like, ooh, now we get to choose which one are we going to do, right? We see it all the time. So here's the deal. I'm going to read you some scripture from Isaiah. And this is the scripture that the church puts alongside of this story about Jesus and says, when you read this story about Jesus, read this from Isaiah. They go together. So we're going to do that right now. This is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verses six through eight, if you're interested later. Why have you fasted and not seen it? Why have you fasted? Why have you engaged in temple religion, but you've missed it? Why have you fasted? Why have you engaged in all of this ritual and still not seen it? Why have you fasted and not seen it? Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? This is God speaking through Isaiah. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free, to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? Is that not the kind of fasting I have chosen? Then when you do those things, your light will break forth like the dawn. Oh, so good. That's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying if our faith is the real deal, like if our faith, our religion is the real deal, then it will absolutely manifest itself in the world and the world will become better, kinder, fairer, safer for everyone. For everyone. When you do those things, when we do those things, loose chains of injustice, feed the hungry, shelter the homeless, your light will break forth like the dawn. So it's not either or. It's not either or. It's not temple or street. It's not ritual or justice. It's both and. And you know what that is? It's the genius of Jesus. 
It's not either or. Let's quit fighting about that. It's both and. And it's the genius of Jesus if we're only willing to listen and hear. Right? So, here's the deal. Jesus was accused almost his entire ministry. When he started doing his thing in and around Galilee, he was doing all sorts of things that actually broke laws, like went against what the Old Testament was saying. He did it all the time. So he was accused of undermining the law of his day, temple religion. His consistent critics were who? Anyone know? The Pharisees, who like us, practiced temple religion really, really well. They were totally and admirably devoted to the laws and rituals of their religion. Really good stuff. They were moral people, but that's where it ended for them. So Jesus, on the other hand, insisted that when he welcomed the unclean to his table, which he did all the time, which is prohibited back in the Old Testament, if you go read it, it's prohibited, breaking the law. When he welcomed the unclean to his table, when he spoke to a sinful woman, again, another thing that's prohibited by the law. He was not undermining the law. He was fulfilling it. He was practicing its true intent, which is always moving us toward love. In other words, what we do in here gives us our saltiness. It gives us our light, makes us salty and bright. (laughs) It makes us agents of the kingdom, right? Powerful, active, life-giving, and necessary. So what does salt and light look like out there in the world? What does it look like? We could probably tell some stories together. Here's one for you. When Jack McConnell retired from his medical practice, he went to Hilton Head, South Carolina, because he wanted to spend the rest of his days playing golf. Some of you are like, that's my dream. I'm like, I don't know if I could play golf every day of my life, (laughs) right? Well, apparently he couldn't either. He got restless after a while. And part of the reason he got restless was because as a doctor, he found out that one in three people living in Hilton Head, South Carolina, didn't have access to medical care or medical insurance. The system had left a third of the people totally and completely behind and people were suffering. So he decided to do something about it. He's like, ah, no, I can't stand that. He also found out that Hilton Head, South Carolina happens to be a very popular place for doctors who've made a lot of money and nurses who've made the same go and retire. And he found there's a whole community of doctors and nurses in his community that are retired. So you know what he did? He gathered them all together and he started what is known today as the Volunteers in Medicine America, salt and light. Listen to what he said in an interview. He said this, Stop thinking about yourself so much and think about others. And when you've thought about them, volunteer yourself to do something about whatever their problems are. Gosh, Jesus never said it exactly that way, but he certainly got that from Jesus. Stop thinking about yourself so much. Think about others. And when you've thought about them, volunteer yourself and do something about whatever their problems are. Salt, light. Because of Jack McConnell, there are now over 60 free medical clinics in 25 states connected to the Volunteers in Medicine Institute. All of them run by retired doctors 
and retired nurses, all of them exist to care for those who have dropped through the cracks. Salt and light. Friends, you're salty and bright. You're salty and bright. There's no qualifications to become salt and light. None whatsoever. You can't earn this. You can't achieve this. Again, you cannot work your way up some imaginary ladder to become salt and light. You just are. Don't take my word for it. Take Jesus's word for it because he's the one who said it first. You just are. You are salt. You are light. You are powerful. You are active. You are life-giving. You are fundamentally necessary. You are God's secret agent in this world, and you can influence the world for the divine. You can influence the world for the kingdom of God. How will you do it today? How will you do it tomorrow? How will you do it the next day? How will you live into it? How will we together as a community planted here in the city of Ames, how will we live into that identity as salt and light, powerful, active, life-giving, necessary. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, for the ways in which you speak to us uh, through it, or for what you teach us in it. Um, thank you for your belief in us. And sometimes we don't think about that. We just think about our belief in you. But when we really think about it, you believe in us. You believe in us so much that, that you named us salt. You named us light, which are two indispensable elements of life that creates life itself, makes life possible. And through your spirit living in us and working through us, we can live into that reality in the here and now. And so we humbly ask you, oh God, as individuals, that you'd help us to figure out how it is we're going to be salt and light in this world. How we're going to live into that identity. And God, for us as a community, as a church, we've been talking about this for a few months now. Give us the vision to see it. Help us to understand, oh, that's how we're salt. That's how we're light. Inspire us, oh God, to be your presence in this world so that we can point people in your direction so that we can make life more possible and more enjoyable, so that we can help you in making the world better, fairer, more equitable, a place where everyone can flourish. God, we want you to know this morning that we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.